tonight, which will be led by Clay. It's going to be a little different from usual, but I hope you'll enjoy it and you'll follow it. Our job tonight is to introduce this year's preaching workshop series, which will be on the Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah. We hope to provide some of the background to these books, explain what was going on at this point in history, and introduce some of the key themes which will be developed further throughout the series. No iPod on the Sabbath. What a wonderful reading from the law this evening. Ah, maybe next year the celebration will be in Jerusalem. You keep living in hope, Father, but Jerusalem and the temple are all ancient history now. I remember as a boy going to the temple with the crowds, Solomon's temple glimmering in all its splendor, and the crowds going to worship Yahweh. There were rumors of wars, threats, and warnings, but no one could imagine the Lord's temple would be destroyed. We thought it were safe, whatever we did, as long as the temple, as long as we had the temple where God's own glory dwelt. Yes, yes, Grandpa, but this is our home now. Why don't you just accept it? And enjoy living here. We've got a pretty good life here. Yeah, Granda. There's no going back now. That place is dead now anyway. My friend told me that there's nothing to do there. Everything is shut down. Even McDavid's and Passover huts. <laughs> here we live under the greatest empire in the whole world. There's no way the emperor's going to just, going to just suddenly let us go to jail, even if we wanted to. It is God who put the emperor in his place and who causes the nations to rise and to fall. All the plans of Yahweh will be fulfilled. No man can stand in the way of his plans. Come on, Granda. You can't be seriously saying that the head of the world's only superpower is just going to one day say, off you go then after 70 years, back to Judah, go and rebuild that pile of rubble. The Lord, our God, the only true God, is sovereign. I live in faith of his promises. Yahweh, through his prophet Jeremiah, promised that after 70 years he would bring us back to Jerusalem. What were those wonderful words again? I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You will seek me and find me when you seek with all your heart. Okay, let's back up a bit and see how a Jewish family came to be living in Persia at that time. Here is modern day Middle East, Iraq, Iran, Syria and Saudi Arabia, countries which are no stranger to news headlines today. Two and a half thousand years ago it was no different. These lands were home to some major world powers and gave the stage to part of God's great narrative, showing how he worked in the world and how he revealed himself through his people. We know that Jewish nation is Israel, which was united and at its strongest under David and Solomon. However, after Solomon's reign, the kingdom split into two, as you can see on the map. There were ten tribes in the north of the country who continued to be known as Israel, and there were two tribes in the south known as Judah. The southern tribes still had Jerusalem with the temple as their central place of worship and capital city. A country divided north and south sounds familiar? Well, here too, relationships between the northern tribes and the southern tribes became strained and quite violent over the years. The northern tribes were defeated in war by the Assyrians, people who came from the part of the world we know now as Iraq. The map shows where the Assyrians came from and the route they travelled to invade Israel. The people of Israel were carried off into captivity and quickly lost their sense of identity. Israel was destroyed. The Assyrian Empire eventually gave way to the Babylonian Empire under King Nebuchadnezzar. He led several attacks on Judah, the first in 605 BC 
carrying off with him some of the royal family and nobility from Jerusalem back to Babylon. Daniel, Daniel was one of these young people. Daniel chapter 1 tells us that Nebuchadnezzar wanted young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. They were taught to learn the language and literature of the Babylonians and after three years of training they were to enter the king's service. Jeremiah prophesied during this time warning the people not to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar but they ignored his advice and treated him badly. In 597 BC he captured Jerusalem and took the king and 10,000 of the people as captives. In 586 BC Nebuchadnezzar returned to Jerusalem and the Babylonian army completely ransacked and burnt the city. Many high officials of the city were executed, the temple furnishings were broken up and carried off, and many of the people were taken back to Babylon. Ezekiel, Daniel and Jeremiah prophesied to the exiles during this time. Jeremiah warned that the exile would last 70 years, and then God would bring his people back to Jerusalem. Now we are up to date with our friends here in their living room in Susa, Persia. Nebuchadnezzar is long gone. The Babylonian Empire has been overthrown by the Persians and Cyrus is now king. The year is 538 BC, almost exactly 70 years since the first wave of captives were taken to Babylonia in 605 BC. Let's get back to our friends. Yes, but Father, you also know that Jeremiah told us to build houses and to settle down to cultivate the land here and to marry and have children. We've done that and God's blessed us. We have a good life here. Yes, and the Lord told us to seek the peace and prosperity of the city because if it prospers, so would we. We've done that. We've been good citizens. As you encouraged me, I studied hard and I've earned a good job and have even better prospects as a subject of the king. But children, it is true we've been blessed but this is not our home. Never forget that. We are to live here as aliens and strangers until Yahweh calls us home. What do you mean, Grandad? I have never seen Jerusalem, nor has Mum or Dad. Why can't I feel at home here? What's the cat? <laughs> you can strive to do your best here and enjoy life here, but never at the cost of forgetting where you're originally from and who you belong to. We're Yahweh's chosen people, and we're to remember that always and live in such a way that pleases Him and is a light to others. This means we can never feel completely at home anywhere except for the Lord's holy city where we can freely worship in, in our words and deeds and be like to all the other nations. You're right, Grandad, but sometimes it's so hard to remember, especially when we, we belong to a place where we've never seen, live in a place where people have such different lives and beliefs from our own. Yes, Ruth, I know it is. Even I sometimes find myself questioning if my fading memories of Jerusalem are imagined. But when we were first brought here, we so missed our homes. We were so desperate to return. We knew that God allowed this to happen because we'd been disobedient to him and had not heeded his warnings. We even need to learn how to praise God again on our sadness and strange surroundings. Ruth, pass me that scroll. There you go, Grandad. This is a few verses that my father wrote in his sorrow when he first was brought here. When I find myself feeling too at home and forgetting Judah, I read over them. 
Here, son, my asset is fading. You read. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplar trees, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Hey, we're missing the 8 o'clock news. We don't have to watch it tonight. We were having such a nice quality family time. I bet that was one good thing about Jerusalem at least. No TV. Put it on, Becca. You never know what you might miss. All right, Dad. As long as we can watch Middle Standards afterwards. Permission from the studio. I believe we can go live to hear the King's speech from the palace in Sudan. Cyrus, King of Persia, I declare, the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has appointed me to build a temple of the Lord for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any one of his people among you, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And the people of any place where survivors may now be living are to provide him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. What? Well, sorry, sorry, what? So, King Cyrus has decided to implement a new domestic and foreign policy. He considers the approach of the previous Babylonian government to have been completely wrong and ineffective. Instead of destroying everything and maintaining power through fear and violence, King Cyrus has determined to bring a civilized approach to government. It would appear that he has determined that people from different ethnic backgrounds will, from now on, be given the opportunity to return to their homeland and rebuild their cities and places of worship. The king is particularly concerned that Jerusalem, the temple that lies in ruins, should be rebuilt and his government will facilitate the Jewish community in Susa and Babylon, should they wish to return to their homeland. Perhaps other governments around the world will take note of the enlightened approach of King Cyrus. We can only hope that dictators such as Robert Mugabe will appreciate the fertility of following the Syrian approach visit the Lady Adopti from outside the King Palace, downtown Suda. Back to the studio. Hallelujah! God really does keep his promises! Pack the caravan, we're going home! Uh, whose home? This is my home. I've just finished decorating the bedrooms. And that new set of Denby we got is sure to be broken on those unpaved Judean roads. This is a nightmare. I was about to take my entrance exams to become a petition, and King Cyrus is hiring. Where do you expect me to get my nails done in Jerusalem? 
Where can I get my cosmetics? Where am I going to get my highlights? And, and the boys are much better looking in Persia. You know why boys trusted in God's promises and that he would take care of us and everything. But Jerusalem is not what it used to be, Dad. It's a pile of rubble now, probably full of bandits and all other kind of riffraff. I've got a family and a secure job here. Can it really be God's will to give this all up and put my family's safety and future at risk? But son, can't you see this as Almighty Yahweh's plan? Can't you see how faithful he's been to us? Yahweh, in his great mercy, has forgiven us of our sins and is letting us return to the land he set aside for us. We were never supposed to make this truly our home. God has blessed us and taken care of us here, but we must be willing to trust him and let it all go. Granddad is right. We have to make sacrifices and the future may be unsure. But how can we not trust God now that we have seen how he keeps his promises? Have you already forgotten his words? He knows the plans he has for us. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us a hope and a future. As Elenia mentioned at the start of the service, there are a number of key themes within the books of Ezra and Nehemiah which will be developed further throughout this preaching workshop series. The first is God's faithfulness to his promises. God made a covenant with Abraham which can be found in Genesis 12. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And Israel did become great, particularly under King David and Solomon. But over time, Israel became increasingly disobedient to God. God sent prophets to preach his word, encouraging them to repent and live accordingly to God's ways, and also clearly stating the punishment they would face if they did not. Israel, however, refused to listen, and as we have heard tonight, faced the consequences and were forced into exile. Despite the ongoing rebellion of the Israelites, God never abandoned them. God prophesied that you will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things that I have promised. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I have sent you, and I will bring you home again to your own land. God remained true to his promises, as he always does, and brought his people back from Jerusalem, back to Jerusalem, establishing the remnant of his people that would continue that would continue the birth line of the Messiah, fulfilling God's greatest promise of all time in Jesus Christ. God enabling the Israelites to return to Jerusalem also demonstrates his sovereignty. So often things in this world can seem out of control and have no sense of reason. I'm sure for the Israelites, at the time of being sent to the exile, things would have seemed very bleak at being uprooted from their homes and their way of life. Undoubtedly, they would have had a lot of questions. Even though this, this had been prophesied about, they would surely have questioned how God could have let this happen. They were his people after all. And then, after 70 years, what seemed to be unlikely, even impossible, came to pass. The Jews, who were an integral part of the Persian Empire, were sent home. They didn't need to escape, because God had moved the heart of the king to make a formal decree, sending them back to Jerusalem with silver and gold, 
and all the treasures of the temple which had been taken. And God moved the heart of his people who had assimilated into the empire to get up and go back to Jerusalem. We can only imagine the emotional and spiritual roller coaster that their Israelites would have experienced during their time of exile and in going back to Jerusalem. Of course, unlike the Israelites, we have the benefit of knowing the full story, of understanding God's perfect timing and of clearly seeing his sovereign hand over everything. But we don't always have that benefit because sometimes we're the only ones in the middle of a tough situation. It could be you and me asking the searching questions because we are the ones dealing with confusion or ill health, disappointment or heartache. It is at these times that we need to come back to the Bible and remind ourselves that God is sovereign, that he is in control and he has been faithful to his people throughout history and will always be. In letting the Israelites return to their spiritual home of Jerusalem and restoring them once again as a nation, God was demonstrating his great mercy and unlimited grace. As a nation, they had turned away from God and rejected him time and again in favour of other religions and cults that surrounded them. When we read about the extent to which the Jews turned away from God and ignored the prophets regarding the consequences of their disobedience, it's hard to believe that God could forgive his people and show such mercy, but are we really so different? <coughs> we are also God's people, and yet we so constantly disobey his ways. We struggle to put God first in our lives, despite knowing all that he has done for us. Thankfully, as with the Israelites, God's mercy extends beyond anything we can imagine, and he has restored our relationship with him for eternity through Jesus Christ in his death for us. As you will have seen from the drama, the Israelites often felt like aliens and strangers in their new land. The Jewish laws and traditions would have been very different to those of the other cultures that they now find themselves surrounded by. This was an important lesson for God's people to learn and is equally applicable for us today. In the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, we are taught that as Christians we will feel as aliens and strangers in the world. Peter says... Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. We can feel as aliens and strangers because we are living according to God's ways and his truth rather than that of the world. Our home is with him and in the same way that God brought the Israelites back to their true home where they belonged, so he will also bring us home to spend eternity with him in heaven where our true citizenship lies. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are a sovereign God, that you know all things and are in control of them. Thank you that you know every detail of our lives and that you oversee all that we do. Forgive us when we don't trust you, when we don't listen to you, when we choose to go our own way and think that we know better. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us, even when we are not at all faithful to you, and for the promises in your word, which we know you will never break. Lord, help us to know and remember your truth and strive to live by it in everything we do. Amen. I want to just take the opportunity to say thank you. Um, to say thank you uh, to Clay for all the information that they've given us this evening. If you didn't know anything of the background of Ezra and Nehemiah, you at least now have the basic picture 
on which you can build. And I want to say thank you for all the work that's been involved um, in putting this together and actually doing this. Thank you so much. I also want to say thank you for nothing. The preaching workshop are going to hate you for this. <laughs> Poor Nigel is preaching next Sunday night. Uh, and he's got to follow this kind of presentation and sort it out in a week. Nigel, all the best wherever you are. Um, but it does mark the beginning of our series over a number of Sunday nights and mornings. Uh, Sunday nights in April and then Sunday morning, Sunday evening for most of May. And a variety of people will be taking part. And you're part of that and we really appreciate that very much indeed. And I want to say thank you for the application. I want to say thank you for not simply giving us background but giving us a real challenge and teaching us this evening as you have studied the material that's there and helping us think about what it means to relate to God just from uh, unpacking for us the experience of the people of God. Thank you. And I want to say thank you for something very, for this evening because there's something very significant about this evening. I think it's probably been a long time. Some of you are around this church long enough to remember it but it's probably been a very long time since we have had a group the size of this who are taking responsibility and leading us and teaching us and this marks a really significant night I think for Windsor Baptist Church because this group of young people is only going to get bigger if they keep piling them in at the crash the way they are at the minute <laughs> so there's something really very important about what you have done here this evening which is not just all the stuff that you've given us but really taking your place in our life as a church and we're very grateful to you for that and grateful to God. So thanks to Clay, all of you, the really oldies. It's great that you just have one name. You don't talk about leaders and members of Clay. You're just Clay. Um, and somebody said it's interesting watching them. They hunt in packs. Um, and when they get into a room, they seem to mold together like Clay again. So thank you to Clay, all of you, for what you've done. And what I'd like to do is just pray for you and commit you to God. Because I know a lot of you have pretty busy schedules at the minute with exams coming up and all the rest of it. So thank you very much. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our fellowship here this evening. And we want to commit to your care uh, all the members of Clay. We thank you for them. And thank you for the fellowship that they enjoy together. Thank you for the constructive way in which they use their time and the opportunities. Thank you for all that they're learning together and teaching one another as they study your word together. And thank you for all the ways in which you have brought them to this place at this time. We ask your blessing upon them. We ask, Lord, that you would equip them for all the daily tasks that they have uh, each day of the week that lies ahead particularly for those who go back to school to pick up on studying for exams and face major exams in the weeks that lie ahead. We pray for all of them as they build relationships and friendships in the years that lie ahead, that you will protect them and guard them and guide them, give them the capacity to make good decisions and help them to be able to seek your grace and your help to know what's the right thing to do. And we pray for them in terms of all the gifts and abilities that you have given to them. We pray that they will be deployed in the kingdom of God for the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.